We are diving in today for one of my very favorite episode format. It's mailbag. And what we do is accept your questions and your musings, and I do my best. I can't say I'm an expert in all these areas, but I do my best to give you my take and suggestions on how to approach the struggles or the challenges that you are facing. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Hello, listener, and welcome to the Small Minded Podcast. I'm your host, Molly, and we are diving in today for one of my very favorite episode format. It's mailbag. And what we do is accept your questions and your musings, and I do my best. I can't say I'm an expert in all these areas, but I do my best to give you my take and suggestions on how to approach the struggles or the challenges that you are facing. So, Over the last few episodes and the last few months, we've had the honor of having so many wonderful guests. So if mailbag isn't your bag, (laughs) it makes me think of Austin Powers, but if mailbag isn't something you want to listen into, go back to some of our catalog of past episodes and check out some of the amazing guests that we've had on. I'm sure you will enjoy their expertise and their perspective on small town life and small business practices. But Let's dive into question number one. Okay, this listener asks, how can you be involved in your community but not lose money, donations, sponsorships, etc.? And man, this is a very good question. So thank you for the person who submitted it. Because in small towns, right, we as small business owners not only are running businesses, raising kids, participating in community events, maybe on committees or nonprofit organizations. But a lot of times in small towns, the small businesses are the first stop for donations and sponsorships for these nonprofits and these school-sanctioned events. So this is a great question that the listener submitted because just in the last couple of months, I have been asked to donate to our local baseball and softball youth league. I've been asked to donate to a school event. I've been asked to donate to another school event. And while I want to say yes to all of these things, I can't necessarily do it, right? You can't just donate to everything. And I love to help out the locals. But I also know that there are going to be so many more people that need the assistance or need the sponsorship than I am ready and able to donate to. So here's a couple of things that I do. First of all, I pick and choose the values that are closest to my heart. So as a former teacher, I know that I want to sponsor school events. So if the local private school needs something or the local public school needs something, chances are I'm going to try to support them and help them. The other thing I try to do is look at, okay, could this use my cash or could I donate something in kind like a video audit? which is just a service that I offer through my Molly Knuth media business, 
Or could it also be where I help them market the event? Because that could be a really big boon to them. And while I'm not necessarily donating cash, that could be value of 100 upwards of $500, depending on the package that they want me to help them with. So those are a couple different things that I look at when I'm considering a donation. First up, are they close to my values? Second, could they use the cash or could they use something else that I offer that would be equal or more value than a cash donation that I could afford at the moment? So when I have someone come to me that falls outside of those sponsorships that I want to give back to, then what I'll just say is something along the lines of thank you so much for thinking of me. I love supporting local. I love supporting small towns. But unfortunately, at this time, my budget for these in-kind donations or my budget for sponsorships has already been allocated for 2021. Please reach out to me in 2022 if you need further sponsorships, something like that. And I think people will appreciate that because you're being honest. You're not ghosting them, like leaving them out to dry because then they'll just ask you, keep trying to get in contact with you. You've been upfront. You've been clear. You said that you enjoy what they're doing. But I mean, who can argue with the fact that you have a budget too? You're a small business owner and you've already allocated that budget. So I think that is something that you can use. Just have like a canned email response ready to go. And it's just all you got to do is copy and paste it in when you get some of those kind of donation requests. And I know the person that submitted this question, I know her, and I know that she probably gets requested a lot for some of the items that she makes. So you could probably do the same thing. It's going to be hard to say no, but I think you could approach it the same way and just say, hey, I have already met my quota for my 2021 donations with my products. And I really appreciate you thinking of me, but at this time I'll have to pass because I've met that quota. And in your head, you just have to like say, okay, can I take on one sponsorship per quarter? Can I take on one sponsorship per month? Or do I have like a certain dollar amount or donation number over the course of a year? So I would say just get clear with yourself about what are you willing to do? Think about what are those events and organizations that you would say yes to in a heartbeat because they're close to what you value and love? And then how can you kindly but clearly tell those other sponsorship requests that it doesn't fit into your business at this time? And I think that is going to be the best way to go about it. As we know, in small towns, we are like adjacent to everybody. We are connected to people through a lot of different things. So this is something that I know is super hard. But you have to remember, too, that you can't donate to everything and keep your business afloat. Because trust me, if I could, I would, but I know that I can't do that. So it's just going to have to take you getting clear with yourself and then being clear with those requests that don't align with either your budget or your values at the moment. Okay. Thanks so much for your question. I hope that helped. Question number two, do you know of any great rural women-owned business Facebook groups or masterminds? Oh, I love this question. So thank you so much, listener, for submitting it. Um, I am a big proponent of belonging to groups that you know can elevate you and help you connect with others, but also that you bring some kind of knowledge or some kind of add-in to, okay? So you got to bring value and it's got to be a reciprocal relationship, right? So there are going to be those Facebook groups that you can join in on that are probably out there 
just because they're free groups, you can join them. But the ones that I recommend to get the most value on are the ones that I have to put a little skin in the game for. Because if it's one of those free Facebook groups, a lot of times myself, I just know that I have so many groups on Facebook that I don't take time to engage in the ones that I belong to. It's nice to have them there for if I have a question or if I need something spur of the moment. But I know that on these free Facebook group platforms, I'm only showing up when I have a question and I have a need. Then this is totally just me. And I don't usually show up greatly to just like engage and comment and chat with other people. I think it's just because of the nature of my schedule and how, I don't know. Anyway, so when I pay a little bit for a mastermind, I know that I'm going to value that belonging. I know that I am going to emphasize and make time for that relationship and partnership. So I would say starting out looking for some rural women-owned groups or memberships to belong to. Ask yourself, are you like me? Where if it's like a free group that you can join and it's very like low barrier of entry, is that going to be great for you? Or is that going to be something where you're part of it? And then like over the course of a couple of weeks, you kind of like fizzle out. Or are you someone who is going to be better off to pay for a membership or a group? So I would start with that because everybody has different levels of engagement, has different habits and practices. Everybody has different personality types. And everybody also has a different budget. So if the free budget fits you better right now than a paid budget, take that into consideration too. First of all, I guess I listen to podcasts. So one of my favorite and my first podcast that I listened to was Rural Revival by Dana Larson. Uh, She is phenomenal. And pre-COVID, she traveled to visit rural entrepreneurs from across the country to visit their places and spaces and then to get their story on how they got started and what they do. And as I was coming up through my first couple of years of business, I found so much camaraderie in these people that I couldn't even have a conversation with, but I learned so much from them. And I could hear myself in their stories. I could identify solutions to some of the problems I had, even if it was a one-sided conversation where I was just taking it in from the podcast, but it fit my budget because it was free. And I didn't have to do a lot. I just had to think about what the message was, and then I could incorporate some of that into my own practices. So very low barrier of entry, didn't have to have a lot of engagement at the time. Now, last year in early 2020, pre-COVID, like right before COVID, Dana opened up Cultivate, which is a rural revival group. So this group, it is a paid membership, but it connects people from all over the United States. And we have weekly Zoom calls where you can ask questions. Sometimes she'll bring in guest experts to teach on a topic or to somebody to tell a story about how they did something in their small town. So it's a very informative group. It also has monthly calls just solely designed to help you promote your small town and come up with a marketing plan on behalf of your community. So lots of great things have come from that. And I cannot emphasize enough Dana's role, how awesome she is, as well as this group. and. The way it's structured alongside the people who belong to it, who are bringing value and bringing their examples. And I've just been able to network with them and get to know them. And it's been a great experience. So highly recommend Dana. Another group that I have heard of that's really good is M5, I believe. I think it's or Five Marys. Um, they are a rural group. I don't know much about them, but I know that Dana at Rural Revival partnered with this business. And they held a mastermind in May down in Pahuska, Oklahoma. And they brought together in person 
entrepreneurs from all over the United States that were from rural small towns. So I know that they have values that are in line. So I would recommend looking into Five Marys because they have a workbook and a program and a course that you can take as well. So it's a different structure than this mastermind that was in person. And it's also a different structure than the Cultivate group. It's actually a course and it teaches you step-by-step different topics and subjects that you need to grow your business or grow your community. So I would start with those two and check those out. Um, Another group that I belong to is called Empower Her. And rather than being like solely rural or small town focused, it is a women in business focused group. And there are these subgroups called collectives. So the organizer, Janine King, she has a passion and a heart for small towns. So she began her empower her business in a metro area in Iowa, but then she saw the need for a similar format for smaller communities that fell outside that metro. So she optioned up collectives for these rural areas of which I belong to one of them. And it's been awesome because we definitely in rural America function a little differently and have different things and needs that we have to adjust for in our small towns. So when Janine was at a recent meeting, Somebody asked her, they said, how does this collective differ from your collective that's down in the Cedar Rapids area? And Janine's like, well, we talk about animals a whole lot more (laughs) this one. And it's true because we have veterinarians and we have farmers and everybody just brings their stories to the table. And it is, it's just the way we roll. So I have to also shout out to Empower Her. Um, She has collectives where you meet locally in person, or she does have the option to zoom into meetings. And she also has a collective that is all virtual, so you can access it from wherever you are. And the last thing I would recommend is called the Rural Ideas Network. And I will link all of these in the show notes. But the Rural Ideas Network was built on the concept that rural small towns are these hubs of innovation and creativity. We don't always think of it that way. But if you look up and down your main street, or in your industrial park, or you look at the farmers next door, they are constantly finding ways to get creative, to sell product, to fix things, to do it themselves. And the Rural Ideas Network is bringing people from all over the United States together to talk about creativity and innovation in small towns. I had the honor of sitting on a panel this week with the Rural Ideas Network talking about virtual assistants and talking about how these virtual assistants, whether they are in your local area or not, they seem in small towns to be like this newfangled concept, right? Somebody who's helping me with my business, but they don't come to my physical location. And how do I pass off work when this person isn't sitting right next to me at the desk over here? Well, that's how you can grow your small business in a small town. And it might seem new in the small town, but it's not a new concept. It's actually a proven concept. So the Rural Ideas Network can connect you to experts. It can connect you to these new ideas so that you can bring it to your business in your small town. So those are the ones that I would start with. I hope that was helpful. All right, next question. How do you stay focused on your own goals without being tempted by others' ambitions? This is a fantastic question. And I would say when I started off Molly Knuth Media, this is uh, about five years ago, four and a half years ago, I came up with a chart. And so I'm a former teacher, so I like to have visual charts and graphs. So I made a bubble chart and I said, this is my 10-year plan. And I made a bubble chart of all the offshoots that I wanted my business to grow into. 
And then on the side, I had a list of like, this is what in my ideal world, my business would look like. These are the services we would offer. This is the physical space that we would occupy. And every so often, I check back with that document. It sits on my pin board. I do not look at it every day, but it's always right behind my desk so I can reference it. And I don't look at it daily, but I'll look at it uh, maybe once a month or so. And I just like kind of take like a check-in of, okay, am I still in line? And it's okay if I'm not. Maybe my ideas or my goals have changed, but I just want to see how close I am to this plan that I had outlined back in 2017. So when I check it, I'm actually kind of shocked at some of the things that have manifested themselves, right? And what I'm most surprised with is that maybe it's not something that I did directly, but I can see some of these things flourishing and happening in my town, even though I didn't play a direct role in it. So it's really fun to, even if it's just like outlining your goals on a piece of paper in that moment, to have it so you can refer back and look to it and say, oh my gosh, this is the progress we've made. Even if I wasn't a direct like participant in it, it's still so cool to see how far we've come as a community. Now, my goals personally, I think it's just human nature to kind of like go through these seasons where you feel super motivated and like you can accomplish anything. And then you go through these seasons where you're like, oh my gosh, I am just doing absolute crap work. <laughs> and like, what's happening here? And I'm not going to lie, like going into the pandemic, I was like, I don't know how my business is going to handle this. Marketing is going to be something that people are going to drop first from their budgets. I am by the end of 2020, I'm not going to have a business. I was spiraling. But actually what happened in 2020 was my business boomed and I was able to do what I was already doing, which is teaching virtually and working remotely. And I was able to continue doing that. Now, as we got into 2021, I feel like I'm having a sense of come down where it's like, okay, things are stabilizing. We're getting back. I'm not running on adrenaline and like spur of the moment ideas and pivots like I had to in 2020, which is a good thing. But also I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, I need to take a minute. And so I just a couple of weeks ago had to sit down with myself and say, hey, where am I at? Am I on track with what I wanted? And not only am I on track with what I ultimately wanted when I made that original bullet list and those goals, if I am in line, is this, is this coming to be the way I wanted it to? So in full transparency, I think I'm accomplishing a lot of the things I set out to, but it is definitely taking more of my time and my family time than I had ever anticipated. So one thing I noticed that I have to do this summer is I need to cut back. So not that I'm dropping anything. I'm just saying, hey, I'm putting pause on this one extension of my business services so that I can have some time while my kids are out of school. And also I need some of that like quiet space so I can get that creativity and center myself and make sure that where I'm going next is really truly what I want. And it's not just a reflection of, like you said, listener, it's not just a reflection of what I see other people doing in my periphery. It's definitely something that is in line with my needs, my family's needs, my business's needs, my team's needs, because each business operates differently. And we can compare ourselves all the live long to other people in our industry, to other people in our neighborhood, to other people who we think have it all. But the truth is, everybody is approaching their own needs. Everybody is addressing their own needs. And what you see on social media may not be the entire truth, right? Now, I don't have any hard and fast tips for like staying oriented and focused to your own goals, other than it just takes a lot of self-discipline. So I hope you got something from that long tangent that I just went down. But 
establish your goals and then just check in with yourself every so often to make sure that what you're doing is in line with what you need to do. You can definitely take feedback or ideas that spark from watching what other people do, but don't say that you have to follow in lockstep with the neighbor over here who is in your same industry because you have to honor your unique needs. All right, next question. What are some of your tips for growing business Instagram engagement? Fantastic question. And there's past episodes that we can link to in the show notes that have a whole bunch of Instagram tips. One is using stories. So checking in on Instagram stories just throughout your day, talking about what you're doing, taking down the like barrier between you and your audience and showing them what happens on a day-to-day behind the scenes. People love that. So I would say that making consistent Instagram stories is a great way to build that know, like, and trust factor. And Instagram stories are where I get a majority of my DMs. And DMs are where the relationships happen. So they take some time because you are responding to different messages in different ways. And they are just time consuming. But that's where the good relationships get built up. I cannot tell you the number of business relationships and friendships that I have made in the DMs on Instagram where I didn't know these people before, but we just started like commenting and having conversation in Instagram DMs. And then when it was time to meet in real life, we're like, oh my gosh, I feel like I know you. How is this the first time we're meeting? So I would say stories, spending time in your DMs, but first you have to get people to show up in your DMs. So creating stories. And then I would say use Instagram Reels. If you need some tips on how to do that, I have an Instagram Reels workshop that is free that you can get access to. We'll link in the show notes. But Reels are definitely something that are high visibility right now. They aren't like crazy engaging, but you are getting a lot of views with a Reel. And I would say my average Reels views are somewhere like close to 2,000 views per Reel. And for me, that has been great at getting visibility and getting some traction for my business on Instagram. And then again, those reels then can lead to DMs. So I'm not making sales from reels. I'm not making sales from Instagram stories. But what I am doing is getting people to message me so then I can create real life conversations and relationships, okay? So I would say stories, reels, showing up in the DMs. Those are gonna be your big things to boost engagement. My other tip is going out and being engaging yourself. So that means dedicating some time each week to going and commenting on other people's accounts, DMing other people that you want to engage with. And this could be friends, this could be local businesses, this could be strategic partnerships that you would like to have down the road, but you have to show up and be engaging first and then people will see that and they will start reacting to you. So engagement doesn't just happen by putting out great content or consistent content. That's definitely part of it. But you need to be reciprocal in your engagement. So go out and take the first step. Or if somebody messages you, you have to be showing up and responding to them too. So it does take work, but those are the best ways that I can share with you to boost your Instagram engagement. And again, in the show notes of today's episode, that can be found at mollyknuthmedia.com slash blog. We will have the links for some of the past Instagram engagement episodes of the podcast, as well as the link for the Instagram Reels workshop that I had back in February. So you'll be able to access that for free. All right. Our last question, friends, how did you price your services? And I am in social media marketing. So this is a really good question, but I think it applies beyond social media marketing. 
And then the follow-up question to that was, how do you know if it's too high or too low? So first of all, when I started my business back in 2016, early 2017, I was setting prices. And social media marketing as a business was like a really newfangled concept in this small town. So I didn't know how to price myself because I didn't see that it was a valued or needed service at the time. So just real clear, I priced myself at $15 an hour. And then I had a couple packages that I put together really with no basic knowledge of how to package services. I just like wrote something down and ran with it. But I just thought, okay, here's what I can offer. Here's about how much time it would take me if I took that times $15 an hour. That's what the package would be. And so that's what I did. Then as I started getting a fuller and fuller client list and a wait list, and I was kind of balancing out, okay, here's how much I'm making. This is how many hours I'm working. Is that valuable? Is that covering my expenses? Not only the overhead in the business, but also daycare. Is it helping me cover school? Am I covering my insurance costs? Am I covering my taxes? So once I had like had an established price, and I started getting clients, seeing that there was a demand, and then I could assess if this was working well, that's when I had to adjust. So at the end of that first calendar year, so that would have been the end of 2017, I had to reassess. And I just said, okay, everybody, I sent out a message to my current clients and I said, hey, you know, this is what's happening. I am going to reevaluate my prices. I will give you guys an update of what the new prices are going to be. I'm planning to give you a loyal client discount if you continue to sign on. You don't have to feel like it. I fully understand that having this increased price may not fit in your budget. So I gave them an out if they needed it. But you know what happened? Everybody stayed on. And so I said, all right, we're going to keep this rolling. So I said I would honor those prices for the next full calendar year because I didn't want to be constantly like incrementally adjusting up. I know there are other people with other philosophies on this, but I said, okay, I'm going to do this every November. I will reassess. Every December, I will send out the information to my clients. And every January, it goes into effect. So what I did every year was just that same cycle of how is this going? Am I covering overhead? Am I covering insurance? Am I covering taxes? Am I covering daycare? Is this a good use of my time? Am I feeling like I'm fairly compensated? And I also had to, after a year or two, say, okay, am I being compensated based on my expertise? Because after a couple of years of doing this daily, I was becoming so efficient and I was having better ideas and I was getting more skilled and technical in what I was doing that my efficiency went up. So I had to account for that as well. And every time I do this, I get a pit in my stomach and I hate it. I just hate going to my clients and saying, hey, guess what? We're adjusting your prices up. But I also make sure to say too, like, you know, I'm still giving you guys a discount because you've been here with me. I show them, here's what you pay. Here's what a new client would pay. So they see that I am valuing their service. And throughout the year, I also give them like I have a client appreciation day. I give them gifts every so often. I just make sure that they know how appreciated they are. And that way they know that like it's not just a paycheck for me that I really do appreciate and value them as a partner in what we've got going on. But again, this is business. So it's a business first. So I would say that that's how I approached it. How do I know if I'm being priced too high or too low? I look. So I look at what other people in my area are charging. And a lot of people have it on their website. And I would say that I'm in the ballpark for what other people in this area are charging or low. I would say I'm low to in the ballpark. So I could increase up. But also I take that into account because I get a stomach ache every time I think about raising prices and having that conversation. 
So I think, okay, I cannot do this like three times a year. I cannot like double my prices. So I just try to do it in a way where I honor my needs and what I have going on, but also in a way that understands that this is a small town, small business, and they don't have infinite dollars in their budget. So my clientele is unique in that regards. But I would say you can tell if you're being priced too low, if everybody is wanting to get on your wait list, and if everybody is inundating you with requests. When you boost your prices, I think you'll notice that some of those people who are paying premium prices recognize that, and then they will just trust your expertise and your knowledge. I think you would be pricing yourself too high and you'd know that if you are getting no response from your leads. If people are saying, oh, thank you for your time, but they're not asking to get on your wait list or get on your roster, I think you know that you're pricing yourself out. So it's a fine balance and you have to constantly reassess. And what works for me may not work for you, but that's how I do it. So I hope that was helpful, but it is totally just my anecdotal experience. (laughs) All right. Those were all the questions we had for this month's edition of the mailbag. I just love hearing what you guys are really wondering. And if I could provide any kind of nugget of information and be helpful to you, I'm just eternally thankful. So thank you guys so much for listening in. If you want any of those links that I referred to, please head over to mollyknuthmedia.com slash blog, and you will be able to access links to each of those services and programs in the show notes for today's episode. Thank you so much for being here, small-minded listener, and I will be back next week with even more. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well lived being small-minded.